Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Greetings of peace, love and light. Hello world. I pray you're in a blessed state. Welcome to Path and Present Podcast. I am Barak Blue and I am broadcasting from the rainy Emerald City, Seattle, Washington on this beautiful morning in January 2020. Alhamdulillah, this conversation is an exciting one. It's a good one with uh, Sister Aisha Prime, who is a friend of mine and really a gem of the North American Muslim community um, as far as scholarship, activism, and uh, a number of things. I had the blessing of traveling with her, um, co-leading a group with Celebrate Mercy to Jerusalem last year. Uh, It was a blessed trip. So we talk about that and our travels and, uh, you know, many other things related to, to her journey as well. Um, before starting the podcast, I wanted to give a few uh, updates. One is that we're just uh, completing our first iteration uh, at Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts, which is the online platform where we're teaching courses on writing, poetry, uh, spirituality, etc., Sufism. And um, the beginning of the year, we started a, a brand new course on the poetry and philosophy of Maulana Rumi, the great beloved poet of the East and the West. And it's been really amazing. We've had um, almost 60 people from all over the world take this with us uh, this month. And uh, it's sad to see it come to an end, but I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And um, Inshallah, we'll be offering that next quarter as well for anyone who's interested. Um, but this quarter, uh, we have a iteration of Opening the Eye of the Heart, which is our uh, kind of flagship writing program about writing as spirituality and contemplation. Writing as a means of seeing the world differently, seeing the metaphor and the meaning in existence. So if you're at all interested in that type of thing... Um, Please join us, and you can find out more, and you can register at RumiCenterWorkshops.com. Inshallah. Um, and again, that's not just for writers. That's anyone who is looking to increase their presence, contemplation, uh, and really just read some of the great mystical poetry of the East and West for insight into their own experience and into um, experiencing the world that we live in. That's that. And then um, at Wasat here in Seattle, we have a few programs coming up. One that's very exciting, we're bringing uh, Dr. Sherman Jackson, who is um, one of the kind of thought leaders of Islam in North America, particularly um, his research on Islam in the black American, uh, that the real kind of anthropological miracle that uh, a, there was a mass conversion to Islam in the 20th century from you know the descendants of enslaved Africans and he traces that trajectory in that history and he has a number of interesting reflections and commentaries and insights as always in his <clears throat> writing and in his research so uh, alhamdulillah we have the blessing and the honor of bringing him to Seattle uh, Friday and Saturday the 21st and 22nd of February, inshallah. And the uh, topics of the programs are 
um, on the topic of building a prophetic community. So he's going to present his research on Islam and the Black American, and then also that'll be the first program. And then the second program on Saturday will be um, focusing on lessons from the Sira for our times. What is prophetic community? How does the society and the, the example of the beloved وسلم, relate to um, the dynamics of our society and our role in it? So I'm very much looking forward to that. I highly recommend um, people read Islam in the Black American, which uh, is, is a really amazing book and really kind of required reading for anyone who is interested in Islam in North America or Islam in the West. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in that. So I highly recommend that. And it's funny, actually, some people have been hitting me up talking about doing a book club or a reading group or something like that. So I don't know. I really just don't have the bandwidth, but that's something that I would love to do. So uh, we'll see. Um, And uh, then we're also, let's see, next week, we're bringing Yusuf Kroma, the brother who we've had on the podcast, who's a poet and who uh, is from Philly and who is an Azhari student, student at Azhar, and a good brother and friend of mine. So we're bringing him to Waset to share some of his poetry and his reflection and his wisdom. That will be uh, February 5th at Wasset Hillman City Collaboratory. You can go to org to learn more if you're interested, inshallah. So I welcome you to all those events. Come visit us in Seattle if you're not already here. We'd love to see you. Um, and then other than that, I just want to say <clears throat> thank you for your support. And... Uh, for listening to the podcast. It's always a blessing for me when I travel places uh, or, you know, when people hit me up, you know, online or whatever and just tell me that they love the podcast. It means a lot to them, you know. um, It's a great opportunity and blessing for me to just share these conversations. And I realize that we've been doing it for over four years. In fact, this year, I think in... Some, yeah, we started in 2015. I think it was towards the end of the year, like maybe September or something. I got to look back. But this year will be the fifth year of doing this, which is pretty wild, actually. Um, so thank you for, for listening and thank you for uh, supporting. It's cool, too, because people are happening upon the podcast all the time. And they have like five years of <laughs> worth of conversations to listen to when they find it so they can you know some people are binging it you know but um anyway it's a great blessing and uh i'm happy to share these conversations with you all um so yeah if you have any topics or guests or questions that you would like discussed on the podcast um just hit me up you know you can at baraka blue um on twitter or instagram or hit me up on facebook as well and uh I always love your suggestions. And then you can also rate and like and comment on um, iTunes, which helps the podcast grow in the charts so that more people um, are exposed to it. So please do that if you can. And then if you have the means, you can also support us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash path and present is our site. And that's the site which allows you to give $10 a month, $20 a month. Um, or any number that is easy for you and that's greatly appreciated and helps us do this um, and, and keep it alive 
So anyway, uh, I pray everybody's well and in a blessed state. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sheikha Aisha Prime. Assalamu alaikum. So we had the blessing of being with you in D.C., in probably a number of other cities with uh, different organizations. And then last year in Jerusalem, we celebrate mercy. Alhamdulillah, I still remember, you know, being in the sacred precincts in Al-Aqsa and your dua in front of the Dome of the Rock, mashallah. And it was powerful. I remember actually, subhanAllah, I don't know if I even ever told you this, but you were making like this really epic du'a after, for the listeners. We, it was actually on the day of the Isra Mi'raj. And we had like a celebration. We, had, we, brought, we smuggled candy through the Israeli guards for the kids, yes. right? And then we were like basically a procession with drums and singing and like yes. all the Palestinians. And, and, and like for them, like for those that have never been there then, I was surprised like it is really a national holiday. Like all the Palestinians come and they yeah. really enjoy it. And they're like, you know, singing and they're bringing sweets. Yeah. Even they were passing out sweets in the masjid. It was so beautiful. That was so So beautiful. we're singing and we're... And then it closed with your du'a. And I remember you were doing a really powerful du'a. And all these people were coming around. And for some reason, I kind of fell back and was just observing from above, actually, because you were on the steps. And I saw, like, these Israeli guards come running, actually. Really? I don't know if I told you this. <laughs> come running. And it was fun because I was standing there, and he, like, passed right by me. Like, he didn't even see me. It's like Allah veiled me. So he was, like, looking. He was like, what is going on? And he was asking... Uh, some and the, some of the Palestinian women were like, because he, he was like, "Who is that? Who is she? Who is she?" And, and the Palestinian women were like, "I don't know." Like, like, <laughs> I never seen her. I never seen her. And uh, so he was on this like weird piece, right? And then I was just observing, like, "Wow, what's really about to happen?" But then he just kind of dipped out, and so. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> like, what is she? What is she praying for? Mm. But yeah, Jerusalem was that your first? That was your first time, right? When no, that was my oh, second yeah. time. When you yeah, were, yeah. Tell me, yeah, was it when was you were younger? Was that you or that was Muhammad? Yeah, oh, yeah Muhammad Mendes. Yeah, like he had this experience. There. That's actually how he became Muslim. Yeah, yeah. That that's his journey. But no, I had actually come the year before that, mm-hmm. um, on like this a whole another epic trip, mm-hmm. where. It was, it was actually really different from Celebrate Mercy. It was more about really learning the plight of the Palestinians mm-hmm. and, like, seeing their situation and, mm-hmm. you know, um, hearing from them, hearing, you know, seeing the, the refugee camps and mm-hmm. their struggle and really connecting it to um, a lot of the struggle that's going on in the States. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And how, how our struggles are connected, like, directly connected. That was... That was a... That was a powerful and intense trip for a different set of reasons. Do you know what I mean? So when we came, just kind of celebrating, you know, the night journey and just like the spiritual aspect of it. I mean, for me, just the fact that we we get to be, um, that we get to share space, that we get to pray, that we get to make du'a, that we get to make dhikr, that we get to sing 
in places where all of the Ambiya, you know, gathered, and the Prophet led them in Salah. Yeah. And I don't know if you know, like, when you guys were, there was a moment you guys were, um, had gathered, and I dipped out, right? And I I dipped out because there was, you know, that, okay, there's that room to the left where we went to pray in that musallah, where they say the the room where Isa, when he comes, that he will come into this room, and the Israelis lock the door. Right, <laughs> which for me was funny because I was like, "Well, if you don't believe in it, why you lock the door?" But um, I just, I was like, I just want to spend some more time in in that area, which was a whole nother, you know. I was like, let me steal away and get a little secret moment in this room, um, and then coming out and seeing, you know, the crowd that had gathered and was singing and the kids and yeah, that was just mashallah. Yeah, I mean, I try to like. I think nothing can really prepare you for that place and nothing is like it. I've traveled a lot of places, but there's something extremely unique. And I feel like one of the ways that I kind of was contemplating it is it's like all of the names of Allah are turned up full blast. Mm. So like you have this like Ar-Rahman, this great mercy and expanses, but then you have like Al-Qahar and like the overpowering and like the majestic and the... The, the one who elevates and debases and like, because you'll be seeing these like, you know, very old like Palestinian men and women who are like going to and making sajda at the, you know, Dome of the Rock and then you'll go out and there'll be like this 18 year old Israeli boy like pointing an automatic weapon at you and it's just like, right. whoa, where yeah. am I? Like yeah. it's so intense, yeah. you know? Yeah, it is And intense. they even have something they call the Jerusalem Syndrome, which is that People that visit Jerusalem, um, a higher like a higher percentage there than anywhere on earth, have report having either mystical experiences or psychotic breaks. Mm. So like get hospitalized. Like this is even secular scientists so they study like them. hey, you know. I didn't they, know that. Yeah, and you know we have reports in our traditions is like the thinnest of the veils yeah. between the semawati wal arut. The he- you know, angelic realm. Yeah. You feel it there, like it's yeah, just you totally feel on, it. like it's yeah. turned up. You know, for my favorite spot, I, d- I cannot wait to return. I'm actually really missing it this year. My favorite spot is um, at the mihrab of Maryam, yeah. at the door of yeah. Maryam, like in her whole section. I just I want to be locked in there for like yeah. <laughs> for weeks. I yeah, I remember like, when you were there. It was like giddy, just like kid in a candy shop it was really yeah beautiful. i can't i i just yeah i want to be locked there for a long time but yeah it. but what you your point about like experiencing the plight of the palestinians is really real and <laughs> you know i think but you know a big takeaway for me is like they were so happy that we came they really were yeah. like they were like yeah yeah we don't you know we feel like the people forgot about us. And, you know, people yeah. told us multiple times, like, the, the Israelis need to know this isn't just a Palestinian holy site, that, you know, the, the Al-Aqsa, but this is for all the believers. Yeah. And so when yeah. you come, you remind them, you know. And, and they uh, said that, please keep coming, please yeah. keep coming. Yeah, that, I, I was so honored and just felt incredibly blessed 
to be able to celebrate that with them. Yeah. Like, I, I again, we've, I have never heard of Muslims so much celebrating Isra and Miraj in that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even in Tadim, there's some celebration. Right. But to see the entire country doing that, like, yeah. there were parades, there yeah. were bands, yeah. there were, right. I was like, yes, yeah. indeed. All kind of... Right? All kind of stuff. I was like, this is... If you're going to celebrate something, yeah. celebrate the yeah. night, right? That your yeah. prophet went into yeah. the seven heavens. From like, here, too. From, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Celebrate the night mm. that you, that your entire life changed when we got the orders of Salah. And where all the, the NBA gathered. Yeah, that's something. That's so, that's something to celebrate, right? That's something to have a band for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Band bagpipes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Just even thinking about how they're keeping that tradition alive in the hearts of their children, you know, by they pass by them passing out sweets and telling yeah. them stories and being able to go to Masjid Al Aqsa during that time. Yeah, what, yeah. A, what a netma. What a netma. Yeah. So um, that was one sacred city. One other sacred city that we've also both visited is the city of Turin. Mm. I actually had the blessing of going there this summer, which was my first time back in like over a decade. It's really mm. powerful. Um, and I know you were there and, you know, I'm curious about your time because for those that don't know, it's a very traditional society. In fact, Saeed Hussein Nasser mentioned, he said there's two societies that essentially made it pretty much midway into the 20th century, still in its kind of medieval configuration. Mm-hmm. Like basically mm-hmm. these yes. islands that have, <laughs> haven't changed. Right. You may say some, okay, you could probably say like certain Amazonian tribes, but as far as like you could say, like, you know, he mentioned is the Tibetans and the Hadramis. Mm-hmm. The Tibetans and the Hadramis, they have these ancient, and it was it's largely because of the difficulty of, getting there like of course they traded mm-hmm. but like they couldn't be invaded because mm-hmm. tibet is so high in the mountains right until it was actually eventually you know conquered by the chinese but then and hadramaut is like this you know it's difficult to get to it's this valley yeah. near the empty quarter in southern arabia it's just you know there's nothing worldly you would want to conquer anyway right know? right so like the, why would we go here <laughs> so for me you know, going there was really, I say, like, it's much less like going to a different place on earth and much more like going to a different time in human history. That's you know? exactly. I mean, every time I'm there, I feel like I stepped inside of a seal book. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, there's a very prevalent feeling of I live inside of a bubble and I know that I live, I know I've stepped and the fear of like oh my god I have to step outside of this bubble back into the world when you leave mm-hmm. but yeah there's so many um, beautiful things about Tanim you know it, and so many questions that we have in our in like that we're talking about in the Ummah mm-hmm. are, are completely resolved there mm-hmm. just on, on existence well, you know what I mean? Like, for example, about female scholarship. Like, do we have female scholars? Do we have, like, in Tadim, every other household, <laughs> they're female scholars. Like, they're female scholars, like, froth of the sea, yeah. level of female scholarship, with a, with a long line of female scholars, you know, and have been for generations upon generations. 
And scholarship, like, you know, I remember thinking, like, what we call shiur in this country is, like, a student of knowledge in that country. Barely. Barely. Right, barely. Barely. So. It's like undergraduate. Undergraduate, yeah. SubhanAllah. I clearly spent time with 15-year-olds who had way more, like, who had way more knowledge and way more understanding, right, than than many of our 40-year-olds. Yeah. And, yeah, I've thought a lot because they have this, it's, you know, they say, like, the the, the city itself is your master, is your guide, is your mm-hmm. shaykh, your shaykh. There's something about this, like, lineage, this tradition, this, you know, almost, like, resonance of, like, you know, because they say, like, that, you know, there's an energetic impact based on the deeds or the, the, the people that are in a specific place. Yeah. So if there's a lot of darkness constantly for generations in a place and like mm-hmm. oppression, like you feel mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But yeah. if there's a lot of light and just like ibad and selflessness and service and awliya and swalihin, yeah. like you feel, it you starts to just it. like you feel radiate it. through the air. If, I've never felt the deen more alive than there. Yeah. If someone to ask me, like, where's the yeah. dean most alive? Yeah. I'm like, in t- like, it's alive with its traditions and it's alive in, in its relevance to our situation right now. Like, mm. Tadim is alive. It is not, mm. you know, um, like, what makes the, what's the difference between the one who's living and the one who's dead is the dhikr of Allah. Mm. So the entire, Tadim is alive, you know, it, it's Subhanallah. The people who are dead are more alive than the people who are alive at other places. Yeah. Right? Subhanallah. And there's like an, an ineffable quality mm. about it because it's not just there's people that have studied a lot of books, you know, which there are, but there's people that are really transformed and illuminated. And like, you know, I was trying to explain it, like even to like some of my family members, like think of angels it's like they're more angel than human mm. and they're just in the like complete selfless gentle luminous pure intentioned cleansed of any of the uh turbidity that and anxiety that challenges and, and pulls us down mm. you know they're really just there and um so there's this really ineffable intangible you have to be there and in fact almost like it's not even necessarily, if you translate the books of the teachers, they're, you know, they're things we've all heard. But it's something about, it's not, it's not just the words, it's the, the ruh in the, mm. in the form of the, the, in the body it's of the, the seal. word. the yeah. seal. They understand the secret of the word, mm. you know. Experientially, not just as an intellectual exercise. Right. And I think that is what we need to take away. Because on some level, if you say like, oh yes, we can learn from this from our society. Outwardly, as far as the societal norms and the everything it's like they couldn't be more different so on some level you know and i kind of joke brothers and i'm sure sisters get leaving there and coming back to the west have that ptsd post-term stress disorder like just totally like can't function like where am i it's like you're an alien like you came to another planet you got to reacclimate and learn how to breathe the oxygen the first time i literally came back from tirim after having been there for about two years i landed in jfk and there was this huge billboard 
of I never forget it was CK one like men's cologne and the man was like laid out on the couch like in his underwear and I fell down and started weeping <laughs> as I was coming through the terminal and that was the billboard I just I fell down and started weeping yes. in all my black hijab my khibar and I was like I know that people were like what is going on with her yeah. and I I was like oh my goodness what am I walking back into yeah. like I haven't seen. Like forget about the aura of men. Like you, you haven't. Like you yeah, just, like, yeah. you haven't seen. Like what? Yeah. Like this is not even. How could this be real? How could this be someone's norm? Yeah. yeah. And I think for Westerners, like looking at that, like okay, well that's just a super conservative society. And I could even see like growing up in a very liberal West Coast environment, like, but like even I understand that vantage point. But the thing about it that I'm so glad I got to experience that at a really young age because. One thing I, I, you you know that comes with that kind of like you know modesty and even like kind of like separation of the the genders mm-hmm. in a way that's like just not present in the modern world mm-hmm. is a, a, an intense like um, sensitivity like we become so desensitized yeah. here like so desensitized but you you acquire this like extreme sensitivity yeah in your heart actually like it really things affect you deeply but then like over time being you know being back here and being inundated with these images it's amazing like the lack of images especially of like the female uh the 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 female or male just the human form that yeah it has like a it softens you you yeah and like um martin lings had this beautiful quote where he said traditional islamic culture you know because and many traditions have a different iteration that human beings have to, they have like a, an animal side and they have an angelic side, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The spirit and the... Remember yeah, Ghazali, he talks right. about that in Alchemy of Happiness. And so yeah. what uh, Martin Ling's pointed out is that traditional Islamic attire for both men and women, it was made to accentuate the angelic form. This is the loose flowing garments, right? Mm. Tight clothing, it kind of like accentuates your animal form, mm. right? And he mentioned, he said... He was even just talking about, because he's like an art historian you know, in, in Europe, and he's saying like if you look at medieval paintings of angels, you know, they would be in flowing robes and things yeah. like that. And it, you know, it, it, you know, there's a dignity to it, even though in our tradition we don't usually depict that, but you, through that yeah. tradition you see there's a dignity in that. But he said, imagine depicting an angel in modern clothes, in blue jeans and a t-shirt. It would be like, it's absurd. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like, it does violence to the uh, even mm. idea. And so he was just saying, like, you should dress to, to bring out, like, the, the dress has a reality. It actually affects it you. It does have a reality. It's not just, right? Mm-hmm. What we do on the outward affects our inward, and our inward state affects our outward. It flows. It's this mutual. So this idea of, you know, you know wearing these flowing garments it has an effect on your spiritual mm. reality so absolutely it does but one thing mm. that I mean be- just even talking about what that does to your spiritual energy mm. and like mm. you know even the alignment of your energy when it is not confined mm. just from a bodily standpoint it has it has mm. effect so yeah. but because the the you know, and there's like parallel worlds in Turin where the women have their souk and their their like society, right? They do. And the men have their society. So uh, I'm just curious what it's like because I've never been on the other side of that. Like with the, the you know, 
the scholars there, the female, mm. you know, habibas, and, and just what it's like, you know, what your experience being with those women of, you know, descendants of the Prophet outward scholars, inward, salihin, transformed, illuminated yeah, women of Allah. Of course you're wondering. Because <laughs> you're veiled from that reality. Indeed, of course indeed, you're wondering, indeed. right? Everybody wants to know what's going on behind the veil. <laughs> so, I don't know. You know, um, it is the greatest lesson in understanding why women have their space. It's not about, see, in that society, it's not about, there is absolutely no discrimination inside of it. There's no oppression inside of that. Actually, it's the opposite. Because women have access to both, as opposed to the men don't have access to both, right? So women can sit and listen to you know all of the habayim. They can listen to the durus. They can listen to the lessons. But the men don't get a chance to go on the other side of the world. Which, for example, um, one way this is depicted inside of Dar Zahra, you know, Dar Zahra is the women's university, and um, long story short, when a male teacher comes to teach in Dar Zahra, he comes through this small door, and he sits in a very small room that has a curtain. <laughs> so he's in a room by himself, and the girls are like freely, you know, sitting in class. And he's the one sitting in a room behind his curtain. And so if they want to submit questions or anything like that, you know, they, they submit it through the curtain. And, and he's the veiled one, right? Which is so amazing. And I remember one day I came, um, like right in the middle of the day, and I was coming to Dar al I think it's, you know, like around Asr time. And I saw these men sitting outside on the steps. And I thought, I wonder where all these men are sitting outside on the steps. And so I could hear one of my teachers talking. And so all these, basically they were some of the higher students of Dara Mustafa, had a, like a serious fit question that they couldn't answer. And so one of the top teachers at Dara Mustafa said, the one who has the answer to this is Ustad Rafa'a. You have to go to the Dar and, and have a class with her. So they were all sitting like in the dirt on the steps and she's like behind this curtain, you know, teaching. And if they... If they knew, like, this wisdom, this high level of faith at that time was coming from a 22-year-old woman. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. <laughs> like, and how powerful and knowledgeable she is. And yet, it's SubhanAllah, if, if they could see her, her form, you would just be like, okay, fan. Have a It's like, this is just SubhanAllah. Um... So that was, it, it would be things like this that you would witness the power of women and their and respect for them. Like, respect for their knowledge, respect for their space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gendered space actually allowed us um, a full femininity. Right, yeah. yeah, that gendered space, having that a full femininity in a way that we just never even thought about expressing in this society. Mm-hmm. Like, and that femininity is not in relationship to men. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's, it's not in in that space. They're not 
curbing themselves. They're not having to behave a certain way because men are present. They're not doing it to attract their attention. That was some of the... So this, the understanding of Haya, not in relationship to men, but understanding Haya in the power that it manifests inside of women who adapt this lifestyle, that was the most... Like, wow, reality, right? Like, when women are, you know, um, together, especially when we would sit in classes where they were, in certain lessons, there'd be multiple hababas, actually, like, sitting in front of us, giving different classes. And the wisdom flowing from the mouth, we're just like, what is, (laughs) what planet do they live on? Um, And yet, it being very practical, very practical. One, um, I give you two two things that come to my mind that stick out, and that is, there's one particular time I'm invited to a wedding, and the way the wedding works is, you know, basically the men are in one separate place mm-hmm. and the women are in a total separate place. Mm-hmm. So I went inside, and just like from the outside, you see just black coming into a mud building. <laughs> then when you get inside, the beauty and the color and the like, the music and the dance and the, the whole thing that's going on on the inside, you it's almost like you, you can't imagine that that's what's happening. So I, I went up to the roof and I was like, I just wanna see this from like I, I almost just like I want a bird's eye view mm. of this because from the roof you can see the outside and the inside. So I re, it's like seared in my mind. I'm standing on the roof and I can watch the women lining up, getting out of the cars and going inside. And so they're lined up, you know, like it almost looked like black ants to be mm. honest with you, <laughs> like going inside this building. And then you see, because there's a place where they, you know, not change but kind of. You know, mm-hmm. take off mm-hmm. what they, you know, um, their outer garment. Their outer mm-hmm. garment. And then you see them inside and you're just like. Colorful, it, dancing, it, singing. Singing. Oh. It just, and you're just like, subhanAllah. Like yeah. the, and, and inside of it, and not in a, um, what is the one I want to say? Not in a grotesque, not in an immodest mm-hmm. way. Because it's not in relationship to the male gaze. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's just like this femininity turned on blast. Sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. And it's so it's just so beautiful to witness. Um, it's so beautiful. There's something to, to that and I, I thought about, you know, on the I relate to that because in our society here in the West, there's very you know, for men to like really bond without the you know a female's presence alters the way that men interact with each yes, other. Yes, exactly. exactly. And so, like, you know, there's a few, sp- maybe the barber shop, maybe, right. Right? maybe there's a few <laughs> spots like that. Maybe if you go, you know, hunting or hiking or like something where you could just really, but there's something that, that happens in that space. Exactly. Um, and, and those, that's incredibly valuable. And I think that's something that we want to, you know, we should really honor and think about. Um, and you, what, as you're describing it, right? This is like a rare occurrence. This is like you've got to organize something to do that, or you know, the barbershop. Like you've you've got to you know you've got to have. But this is a daily yeah. experience for women. Yes. This is their daily life. Mm-hmm. So like one particular time, um, 
the the second one I wanted to tell you about was we went to visit Usted de Zeynab, which is very, you know, like a daily occurrence after Maghreb. We go visit her and her home. And so we go visit her. And, you know, there are a group of women around. So she's in her home and she's like, come with me to the kitchen um, because she's making bread for her family. And, and so she pulls her, she's like got her scarf tied back and her, you know, her uh, sleeves are pulled up and she's like making this bread over this, um, I don't know, it's like a traditional oven, like a clay oven type thing, it's, but it's all in front of her. So she's making this bread. And she's like giving us classes. Like she's taught, like she's giving us like the highest of Dean and she's like, you know, making this bread. And so I say to her, I said, you have to come to America, right? I was like, you just have to come to America and, and teach the sisters there. And she looks up and she's like, like, I, like, Abaddon. Like, she's like, I would never. She's like, I've heard stories of you Westerners talking about what happens in America. And she's like, I would never. Like, no, no, I'm never going there. Never going there. And so, um, but what I had heard her say many times is that she wanted to give dawah all over the world, right? So when she said that, I remember, you know, I, I, at this moment, I questioned her in my heart, right? Mm. And I kind of sat back, mm. like from the rest of the group, and I, you know, I sat back in some sort of judgment. And I was like, you know, how is she going to give dawah all mm. over the world? And she's not even, you know, she's not leaving. This village. Right, this <laughs> village. Mm-hmm. So as I sat back, you know, kind of looking back at her, like, how you, you know, questioning her, Allah just kind of opened my gaze and I was looking at all of the students who were sitting around her clay oven without any exaggeration. There was a sister there from Singapore. There was another sister there from Sweden. There was another sister there from Australia. There was another sister there from the UK. Another sister there from Kenya. There was another, and me from America. Mm-hmm. And all of those people, and I think one from Indonesia, and all of those are all teachers in their region. I, and I was like, oh, this is Neil Solia. Like, she is teaching Dean all over the world, and she's not leaving this village. She's, you know what I mean? Like, she has spread subhanAllah. Like, literally, from Australia to Singapore, it's going, you know, the world around. She's taught Dean, and she's, she's not leaving that village. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah, yeah, and I've always thought about Sheikh Marabat al-Hajj, like, I mean, it's like, he literally, this tiny, tiny village in uh, Mauritania, he said it's too worldly, so he went out into the desert, literally looks like you're on the moon out there, where there's nobody, just a tent, <laughs> a few goats maybe, and just, just to worship, and just to teach, and like, he literally went as far away as you could get from humankind, essentially, and yet... Because so many people, including very prominent scholars from other countries, came and studied with him, in in some way you could make an argument that he's had more effect on yeah, exactly. Islam in the world than almost anyone. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. And he never left right. that. Tent, right. right? <laughs> so, so yeah. you know how Allah will accomplish your like that's that's true to Wakul. That's true understanding that I'm not the one who's doing it. Like I make the intention. Like, it's the difference between me going to the world and Allah bringing the world to me. Mm-hmm. I know. Like, that's tawfiq. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, in that moment, I was like, that's Neo Salihah. That's tawfiq. Like, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, she, 
you know, she had gotten pregnant and, you know, it became a little bit difficult for her to walk from her home back to the university. So I would like, it's just one of those beautiful things. So her husband built her a musalla space on the back of her house. So she would enter from her kitchen into like this beautiful musalla space that we would come and do the burda and come and like do durus with her in, like inside of this space. And I remember thinking so like, you know, women who are trying to build like all women musallas or all women masajid, like, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even, you know, subhanAllah. That's um, just thinking about the blessing. And I was like, for sure, her, her home, you know, is one of those, those lights that the angels see from, you know, from the sky looking down. Like, mm. yeah. We went, when I was there in 2006, we went, Habib Omar was having this reoccurring dream of uh, uh, Fatima Zahra. The daughter of the beloved Salawat, pleased with her, and uh, uh, he was having this. He, she kept saying, uh, "Go meet my daughter, or go find my daughter, or go look after my mm. daughter." So, he, and somehow through the dream, he was able to find that there was a, a woman in a in a pretty distant village. I mean, it was mm. four or five hours drive away. Her uh, name, Hababa Sophia. Yeah. So I don't know if you had the chance, oh, but we had the we had the blessing to drive <laughs> oh, there, and the the you know the men's students would go and visit. So we got a caravan one day, and we we went there. And I remember it's very remote, very remote. Yes. And we enter her home, and I remember just sitting in the home waiting to to go to her room, and her family was there, and they were like, um, you know, in that region, as you know, the sither honey, the best honey mm. in the world. So they were like old-fashioned like thousand-year tradition of like honey harvesters they sold honey and harvested yeah. it so we we're just sitting with them and then we went up and uh again we entered her, her room and she was very old over 100 she was years over old. 100 years old and her room was so simple it was just it was like you say it was just mud and i remember she had one niche where she had a picture of habib omar in the room that's <laughs> yes. all that was there I remember. and then i remember she was laying there and mm. you know I just remember she was she was in this very like high pitched almost like shrill voice. She just kept saying, "Sali al-Nabi, send prayers on the yeah, blood, on the Prophet." And it like sent shivers down my spine. Just her voice, uh, you know, you could hear a, a thousand people say that, but just her yeah. saying that it like made me shake actually. Yeah. And then we, I remember we knelt and we were asking for du'a, and she just, and actually the entire time that we were going there for all those hours. It was really beautiful. All of the brothers, we went around in a circle in the car and, and shared an intention. Mm -hmm. And then the next would go. And we kept going and we had so much time that we just like, I mean, it was like an hour long, you mm -hmm. know, multiple hours long intentions. Like, okay. And we would be inspired by each other. So it was just like, and we got there and she goes, she said, all your intentions are, are, are answered. Ask now. It's open. It's open. And we're just like, <laughs> and I remember... Um, one of the brothers Musa Penfound, who's a dear beloved brother to my, to me, um, one of his du'a, he said he 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 he, uh, he asked for his grandmother, you know, to enter the path of Laila because he was a convert. And uh, there was another brother there that was blind, and he asked for vision. I just remember it was so intense. I was just like, yeah, but but a few years later, I think three years later, I talked to Musa, and he told me that that 
his grandmother, uh, or maybe it was his mother, I can't remember, I think it was his mother actually, his mother took Shahada, and then the next day he heard that Habiba Sophia had passed away that day. Mm. So like as her soul mm. left, the dua was answered. So I mean, these type of things, these type of people, you know. I have to ask you this question. When in 2006 was that? Um, the summer of 2006. I was there in that summer of so 2006. And I visited Habiba Sophia. So I don't know. Aji, we were there. We were there at the same time, but we would have never known. <laughs> Aji. So I don't know. Aji. So I mean, I think just so, when when we think of that, those places, or any of the other places that you've been and had the opportunity to study with, and the people you've been able to be with, you know, one of the things we we are reflecting on is in these lands of North America is, you know transmitting the prophetic inheritance from these people who have inherited again it's not it's in knowledge it's true knowledge is in the hearts of human beings and it's not in lines on paper and so it's a transmission that's not merely oh we can look this up on look if we can read it no it's a it's a it's a, it's a being it's a it's way a transmission of from heart to heart and so i mean we see we need a there's a lot that we have of work but I think specifically, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that relating to female scholarship in, the, mm. in these lands. SubhanAllah. Sitting with Hababa Safiya, the first time I met her, 2003. And I'll never, I was, I was so overwhelmed with mm. anticipation and wanting to meet her. I will never forget the first thing she said to me when I came in. She said, Marhaba, Marhaba. And she said, Khadija told me you were coming. And I was like, Khadija, which Khadija? Which one you? Who, you? I'm trying to go through my friends list. Khadija, did you know you were Khadija? And she said, Khadija al Kubra. He's like, Khadija al Kubra told me you're coming. And I was like, La hawla wa la quwata inna billah. She was the first time, you know, what I remember about her is that also she's a hundred and something and she would veil her face, right, from the men who were present. Mm -hmm. And it was upon seeing her face that I finally understood um, when it talks about that one of the beauties of the women of Jannah is that their skin will be translucent, like it will be mm -hmm. transparent and I couldn't imagine that as beautiful. I was like, I don't understand how that can be. Like, that sounds odd, like alien. Like, that doesn't sound beautiful. And, and then I met her, and um, the light illuminating from her made me understand um, the women of gender and how they're translucent, and they're, uh, the fact that their skin would be transparent was beautiful that she was just such that was she subhanallah mm. the meeting Hababa Safiya was the first time I understood stood the beauty of the women of Jannah subhanallah yeah subhanallah. yeah subhanallah yeah subhanallah Allah, she was um, yeah and I think there's nothing there's no substitute for meeting people who truly embody the prophetic inheritance and I think I mean there's people I say like that I met there that they expanded 
my understanding of what a human being could be just by looking at them like yeah. oh and that it became my reference point like oh a human being you know we think oh all human beings are flawed and you know there's like these you know, walking contradictions and you know most are but there's people that really have um attain that nasimamaina that mm. tranquility yeah subhanallah yeah that is the fan alhamdulillah Allah but when you think of so when you think of the our time and our lands and, and the importance of <clears throat> women scholars and kind of the, mm. the fact that you know it w- yeah I just I wonder if you have any reflections on that I mean, the main thing I think about is the level of acceptance. Mm. I think we're, um, I think there's so much war within ourselves. Mm. And that war within ourselves is a clear inability to surrender to divine decree. And, and then as a result, we lose the blessing of that which is associated with it. Mm. And so, within these, you know, when they talk about if you don't have a sheikh, the streets of Tanim will be your sheikh. Mm-hmm. Like, it will guide you. Just thinking about being able to, you know, coming from the West, you know, being able to submit to that veil, right? Mm-hmm. That black, I remember asking my teacher, I was like, Okay, so I'm wearing this black khimar, you know, this black abaya. <laughs> like, I was like, is it going to make me cool? And she's like, no, you're going to be hot and you're going to, you're going to drip sweat. <laughs> and I remember looking at her like, okay. She's like, yeah, don't worry. Like, you're going to be hot. You're going to sweat. I'm like, of course you are. Don't, don't, don't think that, you know, there's going to be like some transcendent physical experience. Like, but subhanAllah, nothing became more beloved to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? SubhanAllah, nothing became more beloved to me in those those years and, and even the time after. Um, but I but I remember being very clear about the fact that it takes, you know, to be able to do that in order to to learn and to benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was just it, it was almost as if it was the first initiation process mm-hmm. into whether or not you can take the heat right. of the burning of your soul that's like yes, burning yes. off the imp- the impurities of your soul that are about to take place yes. over a period of time yes. right? um, I thought about that too obviously you know just being there because it's like food is very simple to put it lightly and like <laughs> right. it's super hot and it's you're basically in a constant state of discomfort like yeah. at least slight it's physical right. discomfort right but I, I really do I was thinking about that when I was there this time like it's almost the the benefit the openings the hair the spiritual realities are almost inseparable from that yeah. like if you didn't have that it wouldn't be the same there's something about that that provides means and there's something about the fact that like we're so Sensory, like Rumi says, most people are. He says most people are drunk on the five senses mm. because it's so we think we think it's real, and then when somebody passes away or something, we get oh 
wait, this is all perishing. Wait, this isn't eternal. Wait, all that I thought I had, what was mm-hmm. important. Wait a second. But like when you're in places like that, where it's actually the you know it's physically and the sensory, there's great actually difficulty. It's not like everything's so easy and whatever. There's actually like a there is something about it that polishes you or that, you know what? Yeah. Like, I think, you know, we have become um, a community that is obsessed with safe space, right? And the concept of safe space. Mm -hmm. But in reality, safe space doesn't necessarily allow us the uncomfortability necessary to grow. And so what I remember, you know, is that it wasn't always what we considered safe space. Like you're not always going to be comfortable. Like part of growth is you're gonna feel some, un- you're gonna, there's some uncomfortability. There are times you're gonna feel very put on the spot. There are times you're going to feel like called out. No privacy, right? no, no creature. Right, no creature. Like that's part of it, right? right. Like that's, and it, but through that removal mm-hmm. of my safe space, right? that it's in that that growth begins to happen like you know and i think in our in the, the problem the challenge should i say with us in the west is that you know our political correctness our need to not offend you know our like because i gotta create the the all you know i gotta always be in safe space there's something to be said about creating comfort for people and there's something to be said about making people feel welcome that's for sure but then there's a like once you're welcome and you're acclimated and you're here you're here to grow right like that's and this is what it is here and this is what we do here this is what we here right this is program program, right because this program is spiritual growth and spiritual growth happens when you can remain curious and engaged yes. when you're uncomfortable, yes. even in your own skin, like mm-hmm. I'm very, right? I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling checked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling checked, and I don't know, you know, and what? Because what is that? My ego has come full bloom, and so I know the and is known for like just her queenly. <laughs> Her queenliness is, she is unapologetically Muslim. <laughs> you want to talk about unapologetically Muslim? She is unapologetically Muslim. Not politically correct Muslim. Not, a, you know, I, like, I'm not here to appease you, Haruti. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help you grow into the, into the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he created you to be. And so... And in that, I love her. Like, you're just like, I love you. Right? SubhanAllah. Um, and, and I'm not talking, no harsh correction. I'm not, no, but like, I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know? Yeah. It's okay. Get with it. I need to sleep more than this. I need to eat more than this. Yes. No, we don't do that here. We so. don't do that here, right? I need you to sleep more than this. I Yes. You know? You waking up but at then 4 a.m. You, you start to feel, once you feel, once you start to taste the transformation, then you actually yearn for it. And then it's yes. like, Allah. Like, Allah. You know, yeah. there's nothing that you can want more. And then yeah. it's, and that, you know, the beauty of that submission, you really like, okay, this is, yeah. this is what it is. So it's the whole thing, you know, I think about the 
for example, part of our comfortability is that we don't like to remember death, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But in Tidium, everything. everything is about death. Like, they're talking about that. And someone would think, this is so morbid. No. Yes. It's, like, and it's almost like you would think they love death. They're like, I can't wait to go to the graveyard. Yard, right? That's the highlight of the week. <laughs> right, I'm going to the Zumbo. You know right? I mean? like, and like, I'm like... We grew up like, ooh, it's spooky, don't go there. Like, well, exactly. late night. Ooh, and then they're like, oh man, I just need to go to the graveyard, man. It's been a rough week, you know, or whatever. Right. Like, exactly. Spend three hours of gra- Literally, three yeah. hours in and the graveyard feel, making the eye and reciting. D- different. I was like, wow, it's, it is beautiful here. I want to come back here. Exactly. More often. It's full of light. And, yeah. and, you know, just their constant reminders, like they're more alive than we are, right? The, and the constant reminder that, this is where we're going, Habibti. Are you willing to meet this place? Like, the life that we're living is not promised. There's nothing promised inside of that. This is what's promised. Are you preparing for that, right? Which is going to be way longer. You know, you're going to, as they would always say, you're going to be in the earth much longer than you were on top of it. So if you spent time trying to distract yourself from the reality of things, you missed the point, That's right. right? You've wasted, you, you should have died a long time because you're sucking up air. Okay, I mean, I'd love to keep going, but you have an event soon tonight. Yes. We want to give you some time for preparation. So we'll have to do a round two next time you're in town, inshallah. Allah inshallah. bless you. Thank you. Jazakallah. <laughs> Jazakallah.